Oh, I, I'm terribly sorry. I'm not, not sure what happened there, but I, I think normal service has been resumed. Uh, welcome to Ribbon of Memes, episode 56. This is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other arbitrary transitory and meaningless characters <laughs> as masterpieces i am nick uh the wide-eyed innocent of the podcast and i am joined as ever by roger the sinister and deeply disturbing figure behind the scenes manipulating everything you know just once in a while you meet a film that makes you reconsider your life and and, and the choices <laughs> that have brought you to where you are now <laughs> that um that may uh, tell us something about how we felt about the film. This is 2001. And it's not, not the film 2001, uh, the year 2001. And we are discussing David Lynch's film, well, I don't know, film, the series of <laughs> events. I don't know, were they events? I don't know. Series of moving images. <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Uh, there's a secret to that. It's actually several hundred thousand still images that are shown in quick succession to make you think they're moving. That's deep, man. Oh, well, imagine, uh, I, you know, we, we could spend two hours just analysing that and what it meant. Um, Mulholland Drive. Um, I think it is utterly pointless to attempt a plot summary. Um, I suppose <laughs> I could. I mean, there is a car crash. Well, no, there's a shot of a bed at the start. Everything that happens after that may or may not have happened. I'll admit, I actually rather liked the setup. Uh, you know, here, here is the woman in this car. There's obviously something a bit dubious going on. And then somebody she trusts turns on her and she's clearly about to get shot. You know, that, that is, mm-hmm. that is a setup to a potentially interesting story. And then suddenly she's the sole survivor. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we never go anywhere with that. So. I, I, so David Lynch, I, I genuinely do believe David Lynch is a genius. I have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker. I uh, I found... Uh, I watched A Razorhead and I found it extremely disturbing in a way that I couldn't put into words in a kind of weird dreamlike quality. And I always... I, did, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but I always sort of respected him for that. I I love his much more straightforward work. Um, the Elephant Man is, I think, a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, Twin Peaks, I, I dabbled with, as everyone did in the 90s. Uh, enjoyed it up to the point where I realised, much as I should have done much sooner with Lost, that, that there weren't really answers to this mystery. Uh, and we're dealing with uh, the idea that aren't, hey, you man, aren't questions actually more important and more interesting than the answers? I, to which I always feel, well, that depends on the answers you've got, I suppose. But yes, if you haven't got any answers, maybe... Yeah, I think there are um, other examples of that. Uh, for me, it was very obvious in uh, the 2003 Battlestar Galactica, as that went on, that mm. they're really enjoying posing these questions. They're making the posing of these questions really interesting, but they don't actually yeah. seem to have answers. Um, 
I, I was actually uh, immunised against Lost by having watched Alias, Abrams' previous series, which had a sim- similar thing of, you know, there, there is a, there is the the you know, the espionage agency that that our heroine is working for, and then there's the agency behind the agency and the conspiracy behind that and the other conspiracy, and and after a bit you start thinking, well, you know. It's like that bit in the cartoon where somebody goes from they're, they're falling past a thing to they're just falling past a cyclor armor of the same thing again and again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I feel, uh, yeah, and, and Lost turned that, oh, let's ask, ask an interesting question into a, well, I, I don't want to say into an art form because that's not right. I, I, th- um, I think from a point of view of narrative construction, it is easier to pose a question in a way that generates interest than to resolve it in a way that generates interest. I think we've talked before about um, Stephen King and Dos Macabre saying that when you see the monster, yeah. rather than having the hints at it, there's always that little bit of relief saying, well, at least it wasn't the worst thing. Except, yes, except, and, and yeah, we t- touched on that with Alien. After For all its horror, it's still just a guy in a suit, um, and that's a relief. Um, uh, I do, I mean... I feel bad sort of having David Lynch in with that category because whatever else David Lynch is, he's much better at posing questions in a more interesting and less, I don't know, showy and glamorous way, I think, than J.J. Abrams was in, mm. in either of those shows. So I, I don't want to, I do want to acknowledge openly here that I, it's, uh, I do think David Lynch is an extremely intelligent, um, uh, and capable filmmaker. Um, I, I think, I, to be fair, what, what he's doing here, at least, is he, he's not saying, here is this interesting question, gosh, aren't you interested to find out how it's going to be resolved, yes. except, except at a very superficial level. I mean, there, there's no deception. You, 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 will, you will know, you know, ten minutes in, that, yeah, we're, we're not going to get answers here, are we? Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's not... Pre- he's not- uh, yes, he's not breadcrumbing you, I suppose, is the parlance. He, he's never pretending that there's going to be... And if you go into... Some of that is the fact that, you know, it's a David Lynch film, and you, you probably aren't going to get answers to these questions, um, except that which you take... The, the the problem I have is that I just... I just lose interest. I, I really, really struggle to maintain interest when I just know that it's all... And, and again... I, why why do I, I care about this person... If this person may not actually even exist. Yes. And I can see as we're talking, you know, David Lynch is kind of clapping his hands and gleaming. Oh, reaction. How wonderful. This is perfect. <laughs> I like people getting angry and irritated. Well, I guess all I can tell you is I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the experience of watching the film. I mean, there are parts of it I did, which I guess we'll come on to, but I really had to fight against the feeling of what is the point? Why am I watching this? I, I, mm. I didn't, I, as you say, it, it it doesn't so much pose questions as kind of create a mystery, uh, but it's it's almost like it's not even a mystery within the film. The mystery is the film, uh, and once you start to get to that meta level, I, I just I I can see it can raise interesting questions, but I just I just I I I lose a huge amount of interest in the characters in the plot and anything that's happening and anything that's said, and when I it really 
I have to fight against an increasing sense of irritation that we have. Look, here's a big man carrying a tiny cup, and this is meaningful, and this means something. When I know full well, David Lynch, if it means anything at all, he doesn't know what it means. He just thinks it's an interesting <laughs> visual image. Um, here's a man in a wheelchair with giant arms and a tiny head, um, even though it looks off because he's actually um, a small man in real life. And it, it just... it Fit, Fitted with... Normal person size prosthetics, yeah. Yeah, and I just, it, I, I don't find those visuals interesting or arresting. Now, in a razor head, sorry, I've got into my rant a bit quickly. In, in a razor head, <laughs> I did find it at least disturbing. And I will say here, I, there was nothing about it, or maybe because I was ready for it. I mean, the, the bit with the, okay, so quite early on, we have the, the man, this never crops up again, of course, except obliquely. Um, the man discussing his nightmare in uh, a Wendy's or whatever it's called in the film. I forgot it's not Wendy's, but it's, it's somewhere very like that. Winkies. Uh, a Winkies, thank you. Um, and I, I don't know, I've, I've read people saying, oh, this is exactly that, that like that feeling of a nightmare on the end. <sighs> to me, this, this whole film, that sequence crystallized it for me, is like someone you don't know very well telling you in detail their dream for two hours and it's just <laughs> i just it's it's not that interesting if you know someone well i suppose you can draw some stuff out of somebody else's dream but dreams are such a personal thing uh, and i have my own opinions i guess on what dreams mean and i find them interesting from a scientific perspective but i i Frankly, I don't really from a symbolic or metaphorical perspective because I, I just think, much as this film is, it's just your brain reading patterns into things that aren't there because in between our ears we have this incredibly powerful pattern recognition object. And one of the things it does is throw off a lot of false positives. Yeah. Because the, yeah. I, I suspect because there isn't an evolutionary penalty for that or not as big a one as the, for the false negatives. As, as the alternative, yes. Um, uh, Yes, exactly. I mean, if you imagine there's a monster behind a bush and you're wrong, um, nine times out of ten, but one time you're right and there was a tiger behind there, uh, yeah. you're going to survive. Uh, and I, I, I find that fascinating, and I find the way our brain works fascinating. I don't find it fascinating to dwell on the patterns and imagery and, oh, look how you take this. Is oh, Sorry, I, I'm trying not to be... <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea that we can all take away something different from this. Well, yeah, but if we all stare at a mosaic pattern on a wall for two hours, we'd probably come away with different images that popped up in our head while we were doing it. Doesn't mean I enjoyed staring at the wall for two hours. <laughs> I, to, talking about things at a meta level, I, I think it is possibly worth considering uh, the development of this. Uh, yes, because this, this was originally going to be a 90-minute TV pilot. Yes. Uh, for basically a, a a series probably broadly speaking along the lines of Twin Peaks, you know, will establish a lot of mysteries in the pilot and then the series will gradually explore them. Yes. Um and this was made. Lynch showed them a rough cut and they hated it and they cancelled the project. And then well hang on, got all, got all this footage. And then Canal Plus uh came along and said, you know, make it into a film. Uh yeah. And I think probably the first two thirds or so 
would have been the pilot episode. Basically, up, up, up to the sex scene. Up to the sex scene, more, and then, more yes, or less. Yes. And, and then what, what we get in the last part is a, a sort of hyper-compressed entire rest of the season. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, yeah. I think partly, e- even if the season might have satisfied, this is so compressed that it doesn't have room to explore stuff. Yeah. So that 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 is, I think, an impediment. It, it's fair to say, I, I you know, it, does, yeah. it it was this version or nothing at all. Yes, but... and I, 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 and sad to say, I feel that that relatively banal explanation explains an awful lot about what goes on more than the it, symbolism of it. It's why we have dangling plot threads that just—it's not we not the... complete. Well, should should we perhaps? Summarise the inner plot and then. Yes, okay. I so mean, as, the... as, as as far as we are aware of things, we've got um, Rita, who yes. who is in the car crash at the beginning, and she she loses her memory in uh, the usual cinematic way. Yes. Um, <laughs> we won't go into that, but yes. So you know, she, here she is. Uh, she has you know, no idea what's going on, but clearly, at least one person doesn't have her best interests at heart. Yes. Uh, and she runs into Betty, who is naive actress from the sticks, trying yes. to make, trying to make it big in Hollywood. And Betty is enthusiastic about let, let us explore, you know, what, what's going on here? Why do you have a bag full of bundles of hundred dollar bills? Mm-hmm. Etc. And a mysterious blue, uh, is it the box or key she has? Uh, it's the key. Yes. Um, so. I mean, there's other stuff happening as well, um, but I think it would yeah, be fair to say that the, the primary, the primary thread is they they are looking into, you know, do you remember this? I, I remember a name. Let's see if I can let's see if we can find this person. That sort of thing. And that we have the the tangential. Sorry, you you carry on. Mm, I was just going to say the the secondary uh, thing. We, we've got a uh, film director who is. Well, it's not entirely clear, uh, but, but he, he is basically making a film, um, and he is told by sinister forces that you want to cast this person, person in the lead. Yes. Or it will go badly for you. And he, he, he resists and it goes badly for him. Yes. And then we have other vignettes like, um, like the nightmare scene that I've talked about, like the kind of, the the hopeless hitman scene um it's interesting i i wanted to talk about the hitman scene a little bit we'll go mm. back to the the other bit but some of the vignettes are interesting this hitman scene is a kind of a almost a comedic scene straight out of um, the coen brothers this hitman who accidentally shoots someone else through the wall and then while he's dealing with those then he, he's spotted by a cleaner and he has to off them too and ends up mm-hmm. it, it's it just goes comedically wrong except i don't know i just uh, I was probably quite grumpy by this, but I just didn't find it funny and wished I was watching it by Tarantino or the Coens. It, there is a strange acting style throughout, which I don't, I don't know if that's deliberately dreamlike or not, but it persists, I would say, through the whole film, not just through the first hour and a half, depending how you want to mm. uh, look at what I mean. Uh, this kind of stilted, well enunciated, not quite theatrical, almost like, um, Lucas's characters in the Phantom Menace, you know, they, they just really 
acting. The uh, the thing that I noticed was le- less of that and more uh, the actual lines and their delivery. Uh, they're, they're just not talking like people. They're talking no, like exactly. people reading lines. Exactly. It's very artificial. Um, and I, I don't know if that's deliberate or that's just how David... Le- I have noticed that in some of his other films. Not all of them, but uh, it takes me out of it. Um it's interesting, we discussed this, um, again, I, I've gone a bit broader with that, but I think in some ways that's why the whole comedy, and I think it was supposed to be a comedy, this Hitman, like darkly comic, it just didn't land for me funny, and I just well, thought also, I, yeah, I it think was never going to crop up again. That's the thing, we don't know who he is, we don't know why he's doing this. Yeah, Compare um, something like um, the the various murders in something like Fargo, yeah. Where each time that happens, we know who these people are, who this is they're, trying, they're out to kill, why they're doing it. And there will be consequence of this. And, and the whole film is the spiralling the spiraling of the consequences of those sort of actions. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just a, oh, this, this happens. This is vaguely funny. Um, in the same way that I suppose the Nightmare one is supposed to be quite disturbing. But I suppose it got sidetracked from that. But I didn't... I just, I didn't find it in the least bit scary. I mean, it's so flagpost that something, someone's going to jump out from behind. And when it, much as you said with Stephen King, when it turns out to be, I don't know, a fairly unscary, homeless looking person, I, I, I was imagining so much worse that it, it doesn't do a lot. Can we at least have a gorilla suit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Could have got a laugh out of it at least. Um, yeah, so the vignettes, I, I wasn't sure about. And of course, they have some parallels on the other side of the sex scene, or some of them do. But uh, for the most part, these threads are just left dangling uh, and not tied up, which I I'm not, I don't feel disappointed by. I knew that was going to happen. It just made me less <laughs> invested in the whole thing. Yeah, so I, I think if, if we say that that is the first two-thirds yes. plot, uh, and then we have, have this sudden transition, and... Naive Bessie, who, who um, is now Diane, an actress whose career seems to be on the way down. Yes. Uh, Amnesiac Rita is now Camilla and a great success. Yes. And and they have clearly had an affair and Camilla has dumped her at some point. Yes, and it's it's affecting, it's, it's well played, I suppose. <laughs> I just... Um... And yeah, I mean the the, the theory I, th- I think we've mentioned the the most popular critical theory yes. is is that that first part is Diane's fantasy of how she wanted her life to be. Yes. Yeah, she she's meeting this strange woman. She's helping this strange woman, and they and then they're getting together. Uh, I the thing that particularly nailed that for me was uh, that there is a scene where naive Betty is. Um, d- doing a line reading, and everybody says, "Gosh, that's the most amazing performance ever." <laughs> yeah. Well, I want. I suppose when I was talking about yes, and I, it, uh, we'll come back to that. But uh, it's the most sort of coherent reading of it. It doesn't quite hold together. You know, we have characters in the first part that don't have analogs in the second. That mm-hmm. We don't understand why she'd be dreaming about this hitman or the nightmare story. And I almost or, feel or like... the director being leaned on to cast a particular person. Yes, it doesn't quite tie up, and I I almost feel like David Lynch thought of all the theories and then deliberately put things in that scuppered each theory <laughs> so that it didn't tie together, so there wasn't a, a a a single solution. But as far as 
what is the solution to Mulholland Drive goes it's it's probably that or something close to it if if um if it matters <laughs> well um, and i i think the point is that yeah, that people have argued about whether whether that is the right interpretation or something else is and i my reaction is very much there is no right interpretation yes, there is no truth there is no reality uh, there is only IBM, ITT, AT&T, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. I think knowing David Lynch as a person, uh, or not that I know him as a person, but knowing, he, uh, there is almost a delight in being obtuse and a, and a delight in other people arguing over his work. I just, I feel... Uh, I, I'm not interested enough in the mystery to find it fascinating to speculate on what the truth of it is. Ultimately. Particularly since there clearly isn't one, really. I, exactly, and I think that's exactly it, that there isn't one. And I, I think that was deliberate right from the start, because that's sort of how Lynch approaches all of his stories. Unlike, you know, we've touched on Lost and Alias, which I, I, I think they got more successful than they were expecting, and they had to make some stuff up on the fly, which is probably even less successful than here. But I can't. I, anything in that ballpark is not. It's not going to particularly excite me. Um, I, I don't like. Um, I don't know if this is what you call surrealism, uh, so much as dreamlike. Um, it, it's certainly uh, been described as surrealist. I'm, I'm not convinced myself because yeah, I, to, to me, you, you tend to be messing about much more with um, ima- uh, the, the specific imagery and the, and the symbols and so on. Yeah, so. I suppose I would think more like Dali's work as you know, literally, you know, uh, unreal, as opposed to this, which has sort of a semblance of reality but follows a. If it follows any logic at all, it's kind of a dream logic. But uh, yeah, the, the acting is so stilted and unusual. Um, what happens doesn't make any sense. I know there's not going to be a, a coherent mystery, and I, I'm aware, you know, that the mystery is the film itself, and it's, you know, there's some. Uh, some commentators feel that you know this is really a story about Hollywood um, and the truth behind Hollywood and the darkness behind it. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's true. And I, 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 I mean, how did you feel about those kind of theories that it's something to do with Hollywood? And... Well, there, there are elements of that, sure. I mean, obviously, you know, this is a man who has at this point made how many? Um, this is his ninth feature film that he's directed so yeah clearly he knows a certain amount about how it works and and he's either portraying that accurately or he isn't (laughs) yeah exactly i think that's where you you keep coming to it also felt i don't know if it's a film about exploitation it is itself a bit exploitative frankly Mm. of the actresses and i I don't know if that's a meta comment or not or what. I, I mean, I do know that I, I, as far as I can read the actresses and both actresses um, who I, uh, I mean, it's hard to know whether they're good. Well, uh, that actually, that will bring me back to the, you know, with Betty um, uh, and her scene. I really loved the, the juxtaposition between her rehearsing the scene mm. uh, with Rita and it just being a really flat and bland soap opera scene. 
and then when we get the real scene um and she puts everything into it and i i that spoke to me in a way you know that was it was disturbing as well because it's clearly you know we've got this creepy old walnut actor who's clearly enjoying it um but she doesn't care because she's in the moment and i just mm. i really like that scene but again, underlying all of it was like, oh, this is interesting. Nothing's ever going to come of it. <laughs> and so I don't know what to make of it mentally. It's not good. And I suppose you could argue nothing ever really comes of anything. You know, ultimately all films end one way or another and all we have are the moments of them. I just, I don't, I, I enjoy philosophy and, and thinking about what is reality and what is meaning. I just find this is, it almost feels a bit to me and hopefully this isn't too blasphemous, it's a bit like uh, religion in the sense that, to me, it's such an obviously human-created reflection of reality, and here a human-created reflection of of dreams and uh, patterns, and uh, so, that I don't find it as interesting as how my own mind works or how reality works or how the cosmos works or how consciousness arises. I mm. find all those questions fascinating, but I, I don't, I, I don't find listing someone else's dream that interesting or analyzing it too much. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm just remembering dark city, which similarly has a lot of very weird imagery, mm. but it is in the service of an argument and whether or not you agree with the argument and I think largely we don't, it is an argument that is that is being asserted with a certain coherence. Yeah, and consequently we enjoyed the film, and yes, as you say, even though we did, ultimately it's asserting there's a, a soul, which probably is different to how we, we feel, but it, it made it, it... It's not in your face, but it's... it's um, apparent from the film, and here it's all like, well, you'll take away what you bring to it. I don't know. I just don't find it that interesting to do that, to, to do this kind of gaze at these patterns and, and see what pops up in my own mind and see what's disturbing to me. I, uh, it's not why I watch films. I, uh, maybe I'm too fixated on a narrative, and you could say that, and, and I'm not... Well, one, one of the things that I've, I've certainly picked up since we started doing this is a sort of transform where, where I can say, OK... I'm not going to get the the narrative and the characters that are the primary reason I consume stories of any sort in any format. Yeah. But okay, what does the film have to offer that isn't those things that it isn't giving me? You know, what lovely visuals, uh, shot composition, acting. So the thing is, I wasn't really grabbed by those either here. Well, that that was uh, in a way, I, I absolutely agree with you. I was slightly surprised how little the visuals did for me i i thought there'd be a lot of very arresting images or something that i would take away from it and i yeah i agree with you there weren't that many stunning shots or fascinating images i you know i'm struggling to think of many to mind to, to come to mind that were really disturbing or surreal there's a corpse on a bed maybe that pops into my mind but i i just uh we have the um yeah, the 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 guy with the prosthetics on. We have the <laughs> the, 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 the tiny, tiny people climbing over the windowsill. Oh, it just made me laugh. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It just <laughs> looks like Revenge of the, the Munchkins. I didn't know what to make of it, really. Um, I suppose you could argue, oh, it's so... Uh, I, I don't know. Being, I, I didn't know what to make of that, but I didn't find it disturbing or interesting 
I mean, I guess she was hallucinating, or maybe she wasn't. I didn't. I didn't really care. But the I, I think I the found... implication is meant to be that she's she's having a comprehensive breakdown, and yes. be, being a person who who knows that she is having a comprehensive breakdown, she obviously keeps a loaded firearm ready to hand. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Um. I mean, I really started... I could see, if I hadn't watched Twin Peaks and Lost and Alias, and if this had been a TV series, and I'd watched that opening one, and thought, wow, this is going to be amazing following this journey through, I could see me getting hooked into that. Um, Mm. But knowing, as I know now, that, that such answers would never be forthcoming. I wouldn't even embark on watching that TV show because I would just find it frustrating in the first place. So I'm well, a bit grateful that Mulholland Drive finishes an hour late. <laughs> but you, you you have seen Twin Peaks, which I haven't. Uh, does that do yeah. it better? Uh, the, well, uh, the, the the actual show is somewhat reminiscent of the first hour and a half. Um, it's got more time to breathe and more time to mm. breathe. And sometimes it's more conventional. The characters are quirky and interesting. Um, so it's, it, it's, uh, it's a joyous watch, Twin Peaks. It's a nice feeling, um, to be in that place with those characters. The ending is, you know, much the same as The Prisoner, the final episode of The Prisoner. It's just almost deliberately obtuse. Mm. Um, and if you do understand what's happening at the end of Twin Peaks, it's actually quite upsetting. So, uh, I don't, Twin Peaks put me, I'll always be grateful for Twin Peaks for the mood and the feeling. Um, and so that's something from Twin Peaks. I didn't get that here. I didn't feel inspired by the mood or the feeling of it. Mm. Um, it didn't seem to be a place I wanted to inhabit. They didn't seem to be characters I particularly wanted to. Spend a lot of time with. I, I mean, we have we haven't talked. This is a film that comprehensively passes the Bechdel test, if mm. they are indeed people. <laughs> and, every, um, and we have, as I say, I, I touched on. I don't know whether they're good actors or not. Naomi Watts, Laura Haring, um, uh, as, as um, please uh, the, the Countess people. von Bismarck Schönhausen. <laughs> well, okay. Um, uh, as she was billed, then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she she married the Count in 1987. They divorced in 1989, but because of the German rules, she retains the uh, title. That is a great reason to marry a Count, isn't it? If else. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, thought, I I thought they both did a did a decent job. I mean, given yeah. the constraints they were obviously working under, and. Obviously, you know, I, I can't tell looking only at the finished product how much of that is their acting and how much of that is the director saying act in this particular way. But I thought overall it worked. I mean, naive Bessie is coming over as just a little too charged up. Yes. And e- even, great... even in the early bits where we're probably meant to be fairly sympathetic with her. And yeah, and I don't know how much is sort of makeup or, but when she transitioned to, is it Deborah, her sort of old, uh, Diane. Or... Diane, she's a very different, you know, much more cynical, uh, world-weary, worn character, and and that uh, that is apparent within a few seconds of her being on the screen, you know that, and that again, that may be it. But I, I think I agree. I mean, the acting. I, I suppose I'm just hesitant because I don't like the acting style, uh, particularly in the first part. But I, mm. I do much as in you know the Star Wars prequels. I I feel like that was probably imposed on them because everyone's doing it, and so. But it makes it harder for me to enjoy. They're very watchable. Uh, they're certainly 
extremely uh, beautiful in this film. And I, I, I feel, I don't know if the film dwells on their beauty a bit deliberately or uh, if it's played I, I, as I find, it's going for Hollywood glamorist. Yeah, or... I mean, I, I find I'm coming over even to myself as a bit of a prude, but... I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm asking too much if I say that I want the sex scenes to be in service of the plot rather than just, gosh, we have these two very attractive people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and again, this, the sex scene, um, is the, the, the central sex scene, well, slightly off center, I suppose, that everything pivots around in a way, um, is talked of as being extremely erotic and it, uh, so erotic that it, you know, it affects the characters before and the characters after. But I agree with you. How, how can it when they're different characters after? Mm. In fact, fairly soon after this, the characters as we understand them cease to exist. Um, uh, and so I, I, I agree with you. It's very, it feels, as, as I touched on earlier, it feels exploitative and titillating. And I know, the the uh, the actors involved found the the scenes uncomfortable to film, and that makes me feel uncomfortable. As kind of what am I getting out of this? If they mm. found it difficult, I just it, and maybe they're the questions David Lynch wants to ask. Uh, questions he wants to ask, but I don't think so. And they're not questions I really want to be asked in that sort of context. So again, it's not. I mean, there's a lot worse. Um, yeah, exploitation in many other films, but it does feel. It does feel a bit exploitative and, and not in service of the plot, exactly as you say. I mean, um, the, the the other performance I noticed, though, though it's quite a small one, is um, the ever wonderful Dan Hedaya. <laughs> yes, yeah, who we last saw in um, uh, Blood Simple. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not a challenging part, but he, he pulls it off. So you know, um, we have uh, we also have. Uh, I was really, I, I wasn't disappointed because I wasn't expecting any better. What is then? Uh, we had Billy Ray Cyrus randomly uh, uh, in it too, but we also had I. I'm going to quickly scroll down because I can't remember. Oh, Robert Forster, um, who is the the cop at the beginning. Mm, um, because because that setup is essentially saying this is a noir story, you know. Yeah. So you yeah. know, on the one hand, you would have um, not Rita trying to find out what what actually happened to her and who she was and how she got in so deep and so on. And on the other hand, you've got the cop who is, you know, maybe the one straight cop in a bent city, yeah. etc. And there's, there's all that, all that classic noir setup. And, and I believe one of the, th- one of the inspirations was, you know, the dame who is clearly trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's not just in trouble, but is trouble. Yes. Uh, but we gets one line, I think <laughs> and that's it. Mm. And I could see that, um, being a big part of the TV show, I suppose, but it was not to be. I, it really, really lost me when they went to the the cabaret. Um, I just at that point, I don't know. It's art watching art, being mutually incomprehensible, and then just descending it. I just um, didn't. I honestly didn't care. I'm afraid. I just didn't find it an interesting mystery at that point. The the thing that really struck me, and I will use this as an argument that David Lynch has a sense of humour, uh, is where uh, is it Adam, the director? Yes. He, he's told go and meet the cowboy. <laughs> yeah. And he does, and he goes and meets yeah, a guy who is dressed as a cowboy and talks like a cowboy, and they hang a lampshade on. Just you know, everybody involved notices just how silly this is. Yes. Uh, but it's what's happening, and therefore it's what he has to work with. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yes, there's, there's, 
absurdest moments like that, that little moments of it sang out to me. Like, That's yes, the thing, like it's not just one. that it's absurd, it's that it's diegetically absurd. Even, <laughs> even, even these people to whom weird stuff is happening think, yeah, that maybe this is a weird too far. Well, that, I, actually, that's one of the things I've always... I don't mind weird things happening so long as the characters in a film react in a way that I would react like, mm. hang on, this is weird. Exactly as happens with the cowboy. It doesn't really happen in the rest of the film, I feel. Um, I, I also, you know, I like the moments, like the, the sort of slightly comedic um, him uh, stumbling in on his wife uh, with... Um, I think that was Billy Ray Cyrus, wasn't it? And him just being actually quite patient and thoughtful and explaining why why he should be more respectful of his wife, and uh, but then just thumping him as well. I, it's comedic, but it just I I just couldn't find it funny in the context of the rest of it, really. Mm. And I, I, the actual moment to moment experience of it was relatively mundane for a lot of it, which I was a bit surprised about the. Uh, just him finding that for uh, is it Adam the director just finding out mm. uh, that he's had his line of credit cut off in a reasonably long scene that again doesn't have any really interesting visuals and I know isn't going to mean anything after this. So the individual scenes themselves I didn't find for the most part very interesting either. Well, that's the thing. After the first few, when it's clear that they're not going to link to each other, they're not going to build on each other. More, more than trivially, yeah. that that makes them individually less interesting to watch. I think. Yes, whereas something like um, Magnolia, which also ultimately didn't have a an overarching plot, especially to speak of, but I found the individual scenes very interesting to mm. watch. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I didn't really get that here. Um, I I've been thinking of sort of the film as puzzle, and are there any? That I've, I don't just mean a mystery film, but where the whole film itself is a puzzle to, yeah. to try and unlock. Well, I, I, th- I think that's the way it's presented, and certainly there there is a sort of viewer, and I have been that sort of viewer myself, yes. who who will take this as a puzzle, you know, look at it frame by frame, look at the little thing in the background, um, connect this and that and the other thing together. Um, yes. But I think that, that, that there's nothing there. You know, the box is empty. That's, that's the problem with this. I, I would never be tempted to analyse it on that sort of level because I just... Exactly as... You know, it's, it's not... The one thing that isn't a mystery, I feel, because it's clear to both of us, and I think to a lot of other people, is that there isn't a mystery, really. I, I think that is the problem, ultimately. Whereas there are films... Well, there's one film in particular I can think of uh, that I've obsessed over, which is Primer, mm. which is the time travel... Uh, a very low-budget time travel story and just follows the implications through of what would happen if time travel actually occurred. Um and what I love about it is basically what happens is once cause and effect breaks down, no one understands what's going on at all. People just turn up as random, they don't realize, and things fall out of sequence, and, and basically the whole film collapses into a jumbled mess. Mm. And it, it takes a lot of analysis to actually try and piece together what's... And I've spent hours on the internet writing it down and working out, OK, well, actually, this must have been the third version of this character, because they... Um, but I find that interesting, because ultimately there is an objective truth, even if it is eventually overwritten by all the competing realities in it, there was something that happened to trigger it all, and there is some truth behind it. Primer is not perfect, because... Um, 
it actually gives you less information than the characters involved would have, which makes it more obtuse mm. than it needs to be, and that bothers me a bit. But uh, I, I have... Also, the Back to the Future series, which obviously are a lot simpler, that is designed that you should essentially understand it on first viewing. Yes, but it's uh, the same sort of idea. But yes. s- similarly, stuff is happening for reasons which appear to make no sense, but they will make sense later. Yes, but you have to have some faith that there is something behind that. And with David Lynch, or particularly with Mulholland Drive, because I, um, he has, it's been said, possibly by David Lynch himself, that unlike some of his other films, there is a genuine explanation for Mulholland Drive. Um, I just, I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) If there is, it's probably the dream thing. Um, but I don't find that very interesting. Uh, I, I, the, the, I, I just don't believe it, and I, I feel it's been made obtuse to the point of it doesn't really... There isn't an explanation that fits all these things. And that's exactly as you say, because the box is empty. And not that, that was another uh, thing that we were talking about uh, before recording, um, in terms of building up lots of mysteries and then resolving them in a more or less satisfying way, and that's Babylon 5. Absolutely. Uh, that would be my stand-up uh, show of, oh my gosh, that has... That ends so satisfactorily. No, I, I think it, sometimes. Yeah, in in many ways, it's not perfect, but oh yes, and uh, some of the foreshadowing was very heavy-handed indeed. Oh yes, but even so, uh, it it gives you these questions: Who are the Vorlons? What is their game? And you and it gives you satisfying answers to that. It does. It's, it never kind of uh, bait and switches you or, or or tells you anything that isn't true. And what I like about this, sometimes it tells you things that are true, but not in a way that you expected. And, the, and also, Babylon 5 has the, my two, the, the two finest character arcs of any TV show mm. or narrative. You probably know I'm going to say Londo and Jakar here. That they, they're just their, their narrative arcs and the way they are just... Um, so satisfying and so moving and emotional, and those actors just clearly electrify the screen every time they're on it. Hmm. Um, it got away from the plot, but exactly, I, I think you're right that, that there is the the things that I remember are things that answered those questions satisfyingly, and it's hard. It's really yeah. hard to do um, narratively as a, as a as an author to to set up questions that end in a in a satisfying way. Uh, another place I noticed this, if, if you get, you know, a, a essentially procedural TV series like your Star Trek or your Doctor Who or something of that nature. Yes. And most things are done in a single episode, but once in a while they will have a two episode story. Yes. And it becomes very noticeable there that episode one is almost always much more interesting to watch than episode two, <laughs> because episode one is where they're saying, here is the weird stuff. And yes. can, can you put it together? And then you have a week, typically, to think about putting it together, and then, uh, oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. Whereas if you're watching a 45-minute episode or whatever, you don't get time to sort of... Yes, I, I agree. I, I, now, that may be the fact that it's hard to do, as happened with David Lynch here, though I don't think he was ever going to do it, is you're battling against the studio systems and the TV, mm. and even if you have a perfect narrative in mind, someone can just pull the rug out from under you. Um but JMS, J. Michael Trzynski in um, Babylon 5 was well aware of that because he had written a ton of TV shows before um, uh, He-Man and Murder, She Wrote and uh, The Real Ghostbusters, I think, and a lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, so he built in a lot of trapdoors uh, and ways out of it and had to use quite mm. a few of them during the show and still managed to pull it off. Um, 
but it takes an immense amount of planning that he clearly did uh, that I don't know if a lot of people have the discipline for uh, it may be, I think it probably is easier to pull off in a novel uh, because you're in absolute control of what happens the whole way through um, mm. still not easy but easier I suspect but that's uh, beside that. That's that's a narrative. I guess we both prefer is something that uh, answers questions satisfactorily rather than poses interesting questions. I will say that uh, you know th- this is not by any means the first thing to posit obscurity as a virtue. I mean, I uh, T. S. Eliot. <laughs> yes. Say, says in in nineteen twenty one that. Uh, Poets must be difficult. Hmm. Uh, there's a little more context to it than that. He's, he's writing a review of um, a, a book on the, on the um, visionaries, I think. But look, yeah. response to the wasteland. Some critics thought it was the best poetry being written in the English language. Others thought it was esoteric and willfully difficult. I mean, I think you could say many of the same things here. Yes, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. The wasteland's very good. Um, I find it very evocative and creates lots of interesting imagery, even if I don't fully understand it. I didn't find that with Mulholland Drive. I mean, I suppose my response to T.S. Eliot would only be uh, the dudes from The Big Lebowski, which would just be, well, that's your opinion, man. <laughs> I mean, well, when, when I, you I, mentioned James Joyce, part of the problem there was he had a French printer because he couldn't get the stuff printed in, in England or Ireland. Uh, right, yes. And the French printer used a bunch of misprints. Okay. And uh, there's, there's a bit of... printed them all in the wrong order and they didn't make any there, There's a bit about really the bag that held the fish or maybe the dish. And in the first edition, it, it was one version. And there were great scholarly articles on the significance of this phrase. And then, no, actually, no, it was just a misprint. Then it was corrected to the... I mm-hmm. think that, that right there is my problem with all of this. That uh, There is a joy... I think to be had in analysing and trying to find connections and I do feel it's very easy to make connections that were never intended in the first place and mm. that's with someone who isn't even trying to do that. When you have someone like David Lynch who is willfully trying to get you to try to make those connections gleefully uh, knowing full well that there isn't really a that the box is empty uh, I think it just all descends into a bit of a game to me that he, he knows he's uh, he knows he's doing it and he's going to enjoy you analysing it. You're enjoying analysing it just for the fun of it. And I just, I, it's not a game that I particularly enjoy, I'm afraid. Yeah, for I, me, it's, it's the distinction between doing a crossword puzzle, which is essentially a problem that has been set by somebody to be a problem, yeah. and writing a programme to do something or other, which, you know, maybe this is outside my skill, I don't know, but it's a thing that hasn't been done before. I'm, I'm finding out how to do it. Right. Well, they're, they're both quite satisfying, though, in their own way. Mm, but for, for me, writing the programme is much more satisfying because yes. because it is not you are solving a problem that somebody else wrote to be a problem. It's, I see exactly what you okay. yeah, You're, you're, you're uh, trying to achieve a thing. But then my problem with Lynch would be it's a crossword puzzle with multiple... Uh, it doesn't even have a solution. It just it's, You're supposed to enjoy the journey of trying to solve it and never be able mm. to solve it. Uh, that seems to me to be the least um, satisfying of all those possibilities. Uh, yes, creation itself uh, is is very satisfying when it goes well. Following someone else's answers is satisfying. Uh, just following someone's kind of random train of thought and trying to interpret into it, 
I, I, I don't want to... I mean, a lot of people I really like and respect absolutely adore this film and this type of <laughs> film, and I don't... I, there's a there's a danger here of the people who don't understand it just being like well it's stupid, and there's a, the people who feel they have explored it being like oh well you you don't understand that you know there, there can be friction built up on both sides and I suppose I feel like I can see where the pleasure is in this sort of thing it's just it's not for me I don't find it satisfying if I don't believe there is an answer to find. And sometimes the emperor really does have no clothes. Exactly. I, I, I was trying to, I was trying to avoid the impression. But that, uh, yeah, I did, the whole thing feels like that sort of exercise to me. And, uh, your mileage may vary, listener, but I, it's just not for me, I'm afraid. I just don't find it interesting. Mm. So looked at in terms of our usual analysis, do we yeah. think it's a masterpiece? I think the answer is pretty clearly no. <laughs> uh, we we have been more restrained here than in, than in our private conversation before the show. <laughs> we have, we have. Oh, I was so angry uh, watching it, and I've calmed a bit now that I'm not watching it. Um, I will say, actually, as an aside, just before we we end, I did um, uh, I did start watching at 1.25 speed in which case I found the acting much more normal and tolerable <laughs> um, uh, I don't know what that means or what it says other than I feel like it was deliberately slowed down for sort of dream dreamlike quality um, yeah I, I know some people who regard that, that as a great heresy um, to be honest I do it almost all the time yeah, I it's fascinating. They came out of that discussion was you watch almost everything at one point three or, or higher speed, um, which I may uh, I may try, um, but uh, it's, it's not my usual experience. But it, it was here anyway. Sorry, back to the masterpiece. Uh, no. Has it been influential? Has it been imitated? I don't think so, to be honest. I, I mean, it's kind of inimitable, David Lynch. Other he? than you know, the, the things we've been talking about that that were done by people other than Lynch that raised questions and didn't answer them, answer them like Alias, like Battlestar Galactica, mostly came after this. Yes, I do. And again, as I said right at the start, I don't want to confuse Lynch with that. I, I genuinely think he's much smarter and a better filmmaker uh, and writer than that. Um, uh, I think he's very good at what he does, which is to create these media for asking questions. Uh, I just don't find it interesting, and I, I don't—I hmm. I find it a bit navel-gazing. We, anyway, we, we've gone on ad nauseum about the how we don't like it. I, I agree. Um, yes, I'm, when I, when I say it's been imitated, I don't mean that the imitations are necessarily good ones, but yes, but I, I, but I think something that people have taken from this for their own productions is it's okay just to pile question upon question, yeah, and not necessarily have an answer. Yeah. I I agree, and I suppose in that sense it was, it has been imitated a bit, but I think also there have been big backlashes against, frankly, well, I don't know about big backlashes, but a lot of people were disappointed by the end of Lost, and they were disappointed by the end of Battlestar Galactica, and TV at least has moved away from that sort of random question, and the the pendulum may swing back the other way at some point, Um but no, I, I don't think widely imitated, but certainly unique. I mean, you can tell it's a David Lynch film. Um, and <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very much a people either love it or hate it sort of film, which is an easy yes. thing to say, but it does seem to have been the case look, looking does. at contemporary reviews. And as you say, we've uh, we've been a bit <laughs> kinder than we were um, off air. But I think it, it is a... F I, I do find it interesting to analyse why this sort of film is uh, is widely adored 
and I think I can see why it just isn't for me. And by all those criteria, for for me, it isn't a masterpiece, and that's probably heresy to a lot of people who feel that it is. In fact, the masterpiece, and no other film has come close because they spent so long analysing it or enjoying analysing it, and I just... Uh, that doesn't work for me for a masterpiece, I'm afraid. Uh, Ray, Ray Carney, writing for Boston University, uh, you wouldn't need all the emotional backflips and narrative trapdoors if you had anything to say. You wouldn't need <laughs> doppelgangers and shadow figures if your characters had souls. I think he summed it up for me. Yes, yes. It's expertly done, uh, but it's doing a thing that I don't find interesting. Hmm. So what else was happening in 2001? Well... We've been talking about the numbers of sequels and things, and this year we get the first instalment of Harry Potter, Fast and the Furious, Spy Kids, Monsters, Inc., and Shrek, and Lord of the Rings, and Ocean's Eleven. This is why 2001 felt like the year it all went wrong. I thought it was for a different reason, but now I know. Now I know. Uh, So, at the... Academy Awards, uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm. They, yeah, they, this was the, what I remember as a bit of a slap in the face. It, it won four Academy Awards, which was uh, as many as one other film and more than anything else by a significant margin, but they were all minor ones. Yeah, and, and it was the film that everyone was talking about, and it, it was very exciting at the time. I, I, I have cooled on it, partially because of the Hobbit films, partially because... I think it's an excellent adaptation and possibly as good an adaptation as can be done of Lord of the Rings. I found it strangely <laughs> soulless. It's interesting you should say that because my my reaction at the time was this is the best adaptation that could be made for the modern film watching environment. Yes. Uh, yeah. You you've you can't do it straight because people aren't gonna sit still for the story. Yeah. And yeah, I <laughs> I quite liked it. I, the second one was sort of okay. I've still not actually got around to watching the third one. So. I think, yeah, it's hard because I'm so familiar with this. I just, yeah, I just found it curiously unmoving. I don't know if that's because I'm so familiar with the story. There is something slightly grating to me about the acting style in a lot of places, and I don't know what it is. I just don't quite gel with it. I, I mean, I liked it very much at the time, and I'm glad they exist. Uh, unlike the Hobbit films, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, and I, I don't think my reaction is that unusual. I think people have cooled on them as time has gone on, and I'm not quite sure why. But I, I think that is not. I, I, people I talk to seem to have similar reactions that they're less uh, blown away by them than they used to be. Uh, so the other big winner was A Beautiful Mind. Ooh, never seen it. Uh, nor have I, uh, but that got picture, director, supporting actress, and adapted screenplay. Ooh, interesting. Perhaps we should have watched that instead of <laughs> Mulholland. I'm glad we watched Mulholland. Well, I, I ten, tend to feel that um, Hollywood is really bad at portraying smart people, uh, yeah. wh- whether they're functional smart people or uh, not so functional. It all seems... Like be, oh, I, 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 I suspect most script writers have not actually met a really intelligent person to talk to. And so they find they find it difficult to portray. Yeah, they all they all seem a bit formulaic. All those kind of the ones about um, Alan Turing and uh, uh, yeah. So uh, this uh, this is the John Nash one. This is a, yes, but they all. I I almost feel like I've seen it already because you're right. There is a sort of a uh, 
a formulaicness to them, which it d- doesn't isn't the case with particularly intelligent people. I think. They're, anyway, I I agree with you. Uh, so other other big winners, uh, Black Hawk Down, which is oh, right. definitely on my list to watch. Yes, but, haven't seen it. Would love yeah. to. Uh, and Moulin Rouge. Have seen it. With an exclamation mark. Yes, it's all right. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, that was very much a you love it or you hate it film. Uh, I neither did. I thought it was okay. Uh, as for the box office, okay, so yeah, number 10, uh, Hannibal. So the unnecessary sequence, sequel to The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, not very good, really. And as, as far as I'm concerned, the the important thing about the Silence of the Lambs is that, um, you know, it's not just about Lecter. But yes. right, I mean, we we do get very stalling back here to some extent. I'm, yeah. They switch around. Basically, Hannibal becomes the protagonist, and he's not as interesting as a lead character as he was as a very effective side character. I think. Yeah. Uh, number nine, A Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton one. Oh dear me, Tim, what were you thinking? <laughs> Which... It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it, it's arguable how how the, whether this counts as a series entry or not. I mean, it was re- it was sort of regarded as the sixth of the original series, but it was also the one that killed the original series, and then they did the <laughs> the reboot in two thousand eleven. So the reboots are very good. All of them have got a lot to offer. Um, so I've, I've just I'll, I've got a lot of time for them. Never been that interested, but maybe I should be. Uh, uh, I yeah, of the originals, I loved Planet of the Apes and then didn't like any of the others. Though I really enjoyed the novelisation of Escape from the Planet of the Apes for some reason, but I never <laughs> saw the film. There we go. Uh, number eight, Jurassic Park 3. I don't think I saw, I think at that point I'd stop watching them. <laughs> uh, number seven, The Mummy Returns. At that point I'd stop watching these. I really liked uh... The Mummy. Yeah. In spite of its I, problems, I thought it was doing a reasonable job of saying this is the sort, this is the style of filmmaking of of the classic era, yeah. with us with the modern style melded into it. I thought that worked, but the Mummy Returns just had nothing to say. Just became another CGI fest. Yeah, I did see it, um, but I barely remember it. Uh, at number six, not a series entry, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> 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 oh goodness! That was that. Now that is a directly influenced by Titanic. People tied up in the in the in the tides of history, a love story against the backdrop of war. Which um, I don't know. God, when the wind did it, we could have stopped there, couldn't we? <laughs> uh, what, was was that one of the ones that had had the um, bomb the the bomb cam? Yes, that was that was like in the trailer. Yes, the look at this as it falls down, a soldier's gullet and blows his intestines up, or whatever. Which you know we we we'd seen ten years earlier in reality, but now it's out in film. Yay! Uh, yeah, is that Michael Bay? Yeah, yeah. All right, Brookheimer <laughs> and Bay involved in that. Uh, what a, a fantastic pair of cinematic genius. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> they have their moments, but in a very strict and limited way. I feel. Okay, uh, yeah, num- number five, Ocean's Eleven. Um, I haven't seen it. It's it's actually not bad. Okay, it's a hell of a lot better than twelve or thirteen. Okay, yes, fair uh, enough. It, it it has some things to say. It, it is not just a we bought the title and we're going to have a film with vaguely the same plot. Have it, you seen the original? I have. And which uh, the the original 
suffers for me from being, you know, Dean and Sammy are doing their thing, and yeah. if you're watching it when it was made, you are clearly meant to think, yay, Dean and Sammy are doing their thing, I want to watch this. Yeah. And, yeah. It hasn't dated that well, fair enough. I, well, because I'm not in that fandom. Yeah, yeah. Um, that thing that is that is meant to be, I recognise the guy doing his shtick, is just, oh, here's a guy doing his shtick. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're not, um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have. Stick is a very personal thing, as we discovered with Robin Williams. If you don't go for the stick, then it is. Um, it's frustrating. I, I have uh, seen the uh, new ones as well. Uh, I've, I've reviewed them on my blog. They're not bad. Uh, the first one, in particular, is not bad. They're heavy-handed in places, but you know, this is Soderbergh, so it's gorgeous. So that that, that, that uh, funny move from Soderbergh from traffic to this, isn't it? I imagine they offered him a large amount of money. <laughs> okay, fair point. Yes. yes. Uh, so let's see. Uh, number four, Shrek. I have a lot of time for Shrek. It's very good. Uh, yeah, don't love it, but yeah. Yeah, when Mike Myers was uh, was still funny at some point. Sorry, that's a, that's really annoying when people say that about comedians. I take that back. But um, uh, for me, that was somewhat earlier that he wasn't anyway. So <laughs> we've, yeah, we've yeah. talked about that before. Yeah, uh, it, it has its moments. Yeah, uh, number yeah. three. I've not seen this one. Monsters Inc. I have seen that, and it is a, a typical Pixar production in that it is uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, number two, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, uh, as which we talked about. Elijah Wood's eyes really are that large. <laughs> and number one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I hey, don't, hey. don't know. Not much to say about that, really, other than it had been done before. It wasn't a particularly original idea. Uh, uh, but this, it, uh, it's all about the execution in it, and I suppose. It was executed. Really. I just have no interest in in the uh, series at all. I mean, even before any recent events, I just had no interest in it as a piece of writing. So, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I, I know I, some I, of the people who have done it better before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, I grew up with the worst, which um, which I liked well enough, but it didn't have all the pretensions. And anyway, I can see why some people sank into that world. I didn't, and now look what happened. So <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Um, there we go. Yeah, so we've we've only got one that wasn't either part of a series or intended to be part of a series, and yeah. Does this mean the next ten years of this year in film is going to be just a sequel from all the films we just saw? <laughs> oh goodness! Oh well, there was a brief period, the late nineties, where um, it wasn't like that for a change. But... Even then, there were there were things along those lines happening, but it, it, it's 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 ebbed and flowed. And I I think, to be honest, what we're seeing here is as a progression of the thing. Uh, go go back and listen to our first anniversary episode. Yeah. Um, but that whole films are now really expensive and yeah. the people putting up the money want some say in how the money is spent so that it doesn't end up being a, a, a huge flop. So instead what it tends up, tends to end up being is a very expensive, uninspired thing. Yes, exactly. And that feels like, uh, sadly there is a straight line from that to where we are now, uh, cinematically, but we'll see how we feel as we progress through hmm. the, the next 20 years. Um, Okay, well, there we are. That will finish the, uh, or will it? Uh, yes, it will finish uh, this episode <laughs> of Ribbon of Memes. I can't uh, I can't face setting up any questions or mysteries for the end of it. Or can I? 
silencio.